I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Turn on the Jets Digital Presents Draft Season. I am your moderator, D.A. Osario, fresh off of putting on a couple of pounds to resemble Santa Claus. Uh, that By the time you hear this, we will be a day away from entering 2021. And, you know, I think I can speak for my for my co-host when I say good riddance 2020. <laughs> there has been some good stuff, but good riddance 2020. I am joined as always by the incomparable Joseph Bellick and the immaculate James Kuhn. So you guys can't see, but he is rocking this, you know, bow tie look, you know, in honor of what will be a celebratory time as the Jaguars beat the Bears. You will, by the time you hear this, we will be back in pole position. I am putting that out into the universe. Guys, how's it going? Merry Christmas, happy holidays. Uh, how are you guys feeling as we enter this really stretch run? We only have... To this Sunday, you know, as we're recording now, then one more Sunday before the end of the regular season, and we're in the midst of the holiday season. How are you guys feeling? Yeah, I'm, I'm pumped out, man. I'm looking forward to the show. Um, a little unexpected things happened last week, but, you know, <laughs> we'll regroup and uh, we'll make the best out of it. There you go. <laughs> Doing well, Dalvin. Doing well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I will say, I apologize to the, to the listeners. I guaranteed a victory over the, uh, yeah, I guaranteed a loss over the, to the Rams and clearly, Jerry off my main man who I've, you know, I've defended on Twitter for years, decided to, you know, and, and sometimes it really does be your closest friends, man. He stabbed me in the back. Jared Goff, man, just really let me down. The Rams realized the Rams didn't wake up in this game until like midway through the third quarter. Um, you know, and I think part of it, too, I think you kind of see both them and Seattle were kind of looking ahead to these big divisional matchups. I think that's kind of what happened. But to quote the great Willie Beeman, any given Sunday. So I am rooting. I am a Jacksonville Jaguars fan today. Um, but let's jump right in. You guys know the format, seven rounds of draft talk. Uh, let's jump right in. First round, grade the mock. The mock that we are grading this week, this week is from Pro Football Network. And it is the first mock that we have since the Jets are now in the second slot. And so we're going to look at both the second and the, 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 pick, the first round pick that we get from Seattle. Let's start right at the top. And this has been a, a, a source of conversation on Jets Twitter this week since the Jets fell to number two is, what do you do about Sam Darnold? And in this mock draft, this mocker opts to, to keep Sam Darnold and take who some people have rated as the top tackle in the draft, Penny Sewell from Oregon. Now, I will be frank. He is not, I don't have him as the number one tackle. Um, you will find out who I do have as the number one tackle when we turn the page to 2021, but I do not have him as the number one tackle. I also, I would, I would be drunk by like 815 if they take an offensive lineman at two. I'm just putting that out there right now. Um, but uh, Joe, I'm going to go right to you and then we'll go to James. What are your thoughts on Penny Suo at two 
uh, in this mock draft, what would you grade it? And also, what are your thoughts on the player and taking him and bringing him into the New York Jets? All right, so Chiati took uh, the building around Sam approach. Uh, let me explore this. Uh, I do love Penny Sewell. He's a scheme versatile people mover who has the chance to be one of the best tackles in football. I mean, he's a human wrecking ball. He's great. And with the selection, the Jets at some point could have the two best tackles in the NFL on the same team. And that's very appealing. And I do somewhat understand the argument to build around Sam. And if Joe Douglas went in that direction, I could get behind it. But it's not the approach I would take. And I don't foresee the Jets going down this road either. Listen, I'm sure Joe Douglas understands the situation Sam has been put in. I can't imagine he's blind to how mismanaged he's been. And unlike James, um, I believe his career in New York has the potential to be salvaged. But this is Joe Douglas's time to select his quarterback, his guy. And even with Lawrence off the board, there are a couple of quarterbacks in the spot I'm pretty high on. Uh, truth be told, a couple of these quarterbacks are already more advanced than Sam from a technical standpoint. There is talent here. And I think it's too fast to skip on hoping that Sam Darnold hits his stride in year four. Yeah, and I think you make a really good point about the other quarterbacks, right? And, and you'd hate to think of them as the other quarterbacks because realistically, and, J and James, this ties into a point that you made on Twitter this week, uh, Justin Fields in probably any other class is the number one quarterback, right? Like, I, I think that it's, I understand the generational prospect. I understand that. But Justin Fields is pretty damn good. And so uh, I, I definitely thought I said, man, I'm going to send this to James and James might punch his laptop. This might be the pick that really makes him just say goodbye to his laptop. Uh, so what are your thoughts on going offensive linemen and just really like, what would you grade this uh, in terms of just, you know, one to 10 being like 10, like, listen, I'm done with the Jets. I'm a Ravens fan that said it's over or, well, that's me. I, I will be a Ravens fan if the Jets keep Adam Gates, like understand that, but just how would you grade it? And what do you think of the prospect overall? Well, yes, it was difficult to resist the temptation of not punching my laptop when I saw this mock draft. I think that this is a very unlikely scenario to happen, and I think it would be an unwise pick. The reason I think it's an unlikely scenario is because nobody works for 20 years in largely low-wage jobs to become a general manager for a football team and then not pick the most important position on that team themselves when they have the number two overall pick in a draft class where there are multiple very good quarterbacks. So from that perspective, that's why I think it's an unlikely scenario. And I also think it is an unwise scenario because it, it reminds me of what the giants did in picking Saquon Barkley over the quarterbacks. Now, obviously I am sure people will be jumping out of their chairs. All the Sam supporters hearing this saying, Oh, well, positional value offensive tackle is much more valuable than, than running back. And of course, I would agree with that. I, I, have, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. But the positional value of having a good starting quarterback on a cheap rookie deal outweighs the value of any other position in this sport by many multiples. So I think both from uh, what's most realistic and what will likely happen and then what should happen, um, I really uh, dislike this pick. <laughs> Yeah, and I will say, I will add to this, which I think is something that folks need to need to really realize. I, I again, I'd say, I alluded to this, I don't have, I don't have uh, Penny as my number one tackle. However, I also don't think he can play right tackle. So now I'm asking Makai Becton to move to the right side. And at some point, and, you know, if Becton continues his trajectory, I'm paying Becton 
and and a year before I would pay. I'm paying Becton franchise right tackle money a year before I would pay franchise left tackle money. That doesn't seem like a smart way to build a team for me. Joe, I saw your face. We will get to offensive linemen in 2021, I promise. But I definitely have concerns about him playing right tackle that I don't have over a guy like a Rashawn Slater or a Christian Darasaw, who I think are better suited on the right side. And it will not cost me having to move my potential all-pro left tackle and Makai Becton to another position. Penisuo hasn't played right tackle since high school. So I'd be very, very concerned about putting him at, at, at I'd be very concerned about putting him at right tackle where he's better at left tackle. And it feels like a waste of a pick. Um, let's go right to the Seattle pick. Uh, so in this mock, they gave the Jets an edge rusher, right? And we've talked about this already, six, five, six episodes in. The Jets have been looking to fill this edge rusher need for nay on a decade. Right. We've seen Aaron Mabin. We've seen Calvin Pace. We've seen all these guys masquerade as edge rushers. We haven't had one since John Abram. So here they go. Joseph Asai, the edge rusher from Texas, who I like as a player. Right. Um, And I think I think that he could fill a need. But I'm curious to see what you guys think in terms of one. And we've talked about this before. It's more likely that with that Seattle pick. They go corner, edge, maybe offensive lineman if they don't go offensive lineman at the top of the draft. Those are probably the three positions that we'd see. All, all three of us, I think, agree that we'd be surprised if it's a wide receiver, even though we may go wide receiver because it's a deeper wide receiver class. So, James, I'll start with you. What do you think of Joseph Asai here with the Seattle pick at 26? Well, I feel the exact opposite way of how I felt about uh, Penny Sewell at number two. I think this is both a very – likely pick to happen if it, if he were available. And it's also a pick I could get behind. Um, it's worth noting that there is debate around whether Osai is best as an edge rusher or uh, run and chase will. Um, and I think teams will have different perspectives on that. Um, but I like Osai as a player and he fits the mold. Um, he's one of those players where you can really see like what type of person he is by the way he plays he has probably the best hustle of any player i've seen in a while just because he's always you know even if he's on the back side of like a stretch and and the you know ball carrier goes for 20 yards he's chasing it down and you don't see many edge rushers who are doing that um so i could get behind the pick and i would understand it from a you know team building uh and cultural perspective um, so overall, it's tough for me to grade this mock favorably with Penny Sewell being picked at number two, but this pick alone, I would give an A minus. And you, and you mentioned, you mentioned a size effort. That's the same effort that Joe was going to give us in telling us why he, what grade he would give to this big Joe. What do you think? Um, listen, you know, I, I understand the needed edge, but you can't go into this draft with the notion of building around Sam and take an edge, which your second pick here. I mean, it makes no sense to me. If you want to make the case to build around Sam, keep giving him the pieces he needs to be successful. Taking an edge there, in my opinion, is just a borderline egregious, as much as I like Asai. I gave this mock a D, honestly. Maybe it even deserves an F. Uh, if he kept adding players around Sam, i look at it differently. But overall, I'm not a big fan of this mock at all. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's spot on. I think that, he, and honestly, Joe, you make a really good point. If I if I had gone all in with Sam Darnold, which I clearly did by taking by taking the tackle at two, um, I'd want to give him a wide receiver at that at, at that pick or even a running back, right? Like I like something something to help him, right? Uh, you know, maybe Kyle Pitts falls and you take him, you know, there at at twenty six, right? Like I just I can't fathom the thinking behind. Yeah, I'm gonna take this this tackle, right? 
and then I'm going to go edge. I understand needing to t- needing to take an edge, but I, I that pick. Well, I'm I'm with you, James. I like the player, uh, but if I'm going all in on Sam, I have to give him some kind of help, right? Um, let's jump right in round two, uh, the quarterbacks, which you know we are nearing. Justin Fields versus Trevor Lawrence in the in the in the college football semifinal. We saw Zach Wilson tear up the mighty UCF uh, football team, <laughs> which you know set Jets Twitter ablaze. Uh, but let's let's dive right into it, guys. Quarterback two, because as of this, as of the time that we record this, we are picking second. However, I'm going to keep saying this every round. By the time you hear this episode, we'll be back to picking first, and all of these other quarterback conversations will be moot. But let's let's go right in, James. Quarterback number two. Who do you have as your quarterback number two and why? Yeah, so I have Justin Fields as my quarterback two. Um, I have him as my quarterback two because I think um, he checks all the boxes you want in a quarterback. Um, I, I know I've talked about him previously. The thing I'd love to get into, though, is the biggest criticism that I see on Twitter of him, which is this notion that he, quote unquote, has poor mental processing, uh, which is a myth I would love to dispel. Um, just to get into it. I think it's worth differentiating between what he's asked to do um, and like what he can do. So I would say about 33% of the Ohio state offenses, RPOs plays where the quarterback reads a second or third level defender holds the ball in the mesh point, either gives the ball to the running back or throws, you know, a hitch or an out that's 33% of the offense that does not require going through reads. I'd say another 33% of the offense are these zone beating concepts like, you know, snag flood, those types of things or mirrored route concepts where it's the same routes on each side. That's another 33%. I think those, I wouldn't count those as being um, plays where you need to like go through multiple progressions because in many cases you're reading a zone defender and you're throwing the ball where he isn't covering. Now the remaining 33% is where I think, um, is what I think gives most credence to the concerns about poor mental processing. But I, I hope to explain why I don't think those are valid concerns. Um, I think the remaining 33% of the plays are full field reads, you know, like mesh, Y cross, all goes, those types of things. Or like they even do some, some plays where they'll keep in like two tight ends and a running back and we'll just have two receivers running routes and it'll be like a clear out from one receiver and then a deep over from the other. Um, and so I would say there, there's a very small subset of plays in the Ohio State offense where Justin Fields gets stuck on one receiver and he'll drop back, he'll hitch once, he'll hitch twice, the rush will get there and you know he'll escape it or he'll get sacked or something like that will happen. And I think that's where people get this notion that he has poor mental processing. But he has simultaneously shown instances of going, looking at multiple receivers and then throwing the ball, going through reads. Rutgers is the gold standard of this. He did it about 15 times in the Rutgers game where he looked at one receiver, looked at a second receiver, looked at third receiver and then threw the ball. So while he hasn't been super consistent in doing it, we cannot say that he has not shown the ability to do it. And yes, we'd love more consistency in like an ideal world, but you know, there's a reason why these kids are prospects. You know, they're not finished products. And so when I combine that fact with all of the other athletic gifts he has, his natural accuracy, um, I, I think he is the QB too. So sorry to be super long-winded about that. No, 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 no. And I think, I think you, I think, yeah, I think you made some really, really good points. And I will say, I think one of the things that 
uh, I, I really like that you pointed out is his processing speed in terms of because I think a lot of folks think that processing speed and we've seen we've seen it with you know Josh Allen had terrible processing speed at Wyoming just really really awful processing speed um, and then we've seen what Buffalo has done right like he's able to move through his progressions right and I remember and this is interesting because again like here it is now three years later we're going through this quarterback discussion again but I remember in 2018 uh, you know, highlighting Lamar Jackson's ability to, to go through reads in Bobby Petrino's offense, right? Like Louisville's offense very much let him do that, right? But what you also saw is a kid who was willing to move outside the pocket, use his legs, et cetera, et cetera. If anything, a lot of people even thought that as Lamar Jackson went on at Louisville, he'd use his legs more. He started using his legs less, right? And with Justin Fields, I wonder if, because I think when you're that physically athletic, when you're that physically gifted, right? how much of it is you fighting your natural instinct to take off, right? To tuck your head and go, because you know, nobody's fast enough to catch you on the field. And you have to like, and, and James, you mentioned this too, like they're prospects for a reason. These are guys that have been playing this level ball. Like Justin Fields was the number two quarterback in high, in high school behind Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence early on, again, uses legs a lot more than he does now. Right. Um, and so Joe, I'm going to pitch it to you. QB two, um, who, who do you have? Do you agree with James? Do you disagree with James? I know we have, you know, we still have the combine and all that, but just right now, who would you put at quarterback? Yeah, I agree with you guys. I have Justin Field as my number two right now. And, and I'm looking forward to watching him versus Clemson at a time when a lot of people are doubting him. And I believe he'll answer the call. Listen, I understand some of the criticisms for Fields, but this kid is a special talent, dual threat, great athlete, accurate, big time arm, not to mention he's a leader on and off the field. And I believe like you guys, his process, processing issues are slightly overblown. I mean, he does know where to go with the ball. And as he matures, his reaction time will get better. I think we have to put things in perspective. He's six games into his second year start, right? I mean, where was Zach Wilson in his second year starting? Where was Zach Wilson his first year starting, for that matter, compared to Fields? Not even close, not comparable at all. I'd also love to see Wilson versus Indiana Northwestern's defense too, because I don't expect he'd fare better than Fields. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I like Zach Wilson and I have a first round grade on him. But I can't take him at two over fields. If they got him in a trade down scenario, I could get behind that. But frankly, some of the hype he's getting, in my opinion, is unwarranted. While I love and appreciate his deep ball, I'm seeing a guy who lacks anticipation, has questionable ball placement, and is lucky that many of his passes weren't intercepted. And I have some questions about his processing too, specifically in between the numbers. And uh, the number of times I saw him put his wide receivers in jeopardy is a concern. A quarterback, a good quarterback, knows how to throttle down his receivers or put the ball in a spot where they won't be vulnerable. And Wilson struggles with this more, more than most quarterbacks. Now, I will say there is something about Wilson that leaves me hopeful if the Jets went with him over fields. And it's not just his very impressive off-platform throws and crazy deep passes. He seems to have that special intangible that makes good quarterbacks great. And for that, I'm left intrigued. From what I can tell, Wilson is a killer. This kid's moxie and confidence is something to be admired. If you want to be a great quarterback in this league, you have to be a killer. Mahomes is a killer. Brady is a killer. Manning was a killer. And I think Zach Wilson might be a killer, which I think is what's stopping Sam from taking the next step, to be honest. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point. And I will say, just for you know, all you avid uh, mystery readers, that the, the mystery re mystery genre fans that are listening, he does not mean an actual murderer. He does not. We're not out <laughs> as, as a murderer. But I agree. I think that there has to be a certain mindset. The one thing I will say about Zach Wilson that does worry me, and Joe, you alluded to this, um, it's 
I think that Zach Wilson at times makes some really, really dumb decisions. And I think that he thinks that his arm can get him out of it. Right. And, and it's a worry for me because similar to what you said, and James, you also had a tweet about this too. There are throws, there are decisions that he makes that will get your wide receiver killed at the next level. And I worry that because you've gotten away with it in college, you now think you can get away with it in the pros. And we have to also realize this too. When you compare guys to Patrick Mahomes, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, right? When you compare them to those guys, those are the exceptions, right? Like those aren't, you don't find those guys off the street. If so, the Browns, the Jets, you know, all these teams that have struggled to find quarterbacks would have found their quarterbacks a long time ago. So I think we have to get away from this almost like hyperbolic, uh, uh, hyperbolic expectations that we're putting on these, on these kids, because realistically, Zach Wilson's probably not going to be Pat Mahomes, right? Like Justin Fields will probably not be Deshaun Watson like that. And it's okay. That doesn't mean you can't win without him. Right. And I think, you know, we, we, we have a, a fan of the pod Drew from Jersey who, who listens to us all the time. Right. And he was in, and I'll take you, I'll take you guys back to 2018. He was in Pat, he was in on Patrick Mahomes very, very early. Right. He was probably honestly, and it's, and it's always funny to me because like, I remember when we signed Eric Decker and it was broken by a guy who saw him in, on, in a, in an Applebee's in New Jersey or whatever. And I'm always blown away because of this era, the social media that we're in, uh, we have access to so much, so much film, so much coverage, right. That in, turn if, if you're really passionate about this you can start to break down film and kind of start to see things and, and things like that maybe you turn it into a career right when when I remember when when Drew mentioned Patrick Mahomes and Joe and Joe and I were very much in on Deshaun Watson we wanted Watson Drew wanted Mahomes you saw a lot of Jet fans the minute Drew mentioned Mahomes it shifted and a lot of folks were like man yeah, we really want Patrick Mahomes. I've seen every Texas Tech game. Go Red Raiders, all this stuff. And, and it was weird because, like, you could tell they had not watched any, any Mahomes tape. But I, I say all that to say that it's interesting to see the, the narrative in Jets Twitter shift when somebody likes somebody versus when somebody doesn't like somebody. Because if I came out tomorrow and I was like, man, Justin Fields just doesn't have it or what, I don't know. And again, and I'm not saying that I have this much clout, but if, like, I said it and then maybe somebody picked it up, then you would see a lot of Jet fans kind of shift, right? Or if Connor Rogers came out tomorrow and was like, yeah, man, no, I think Trey Lance is quarterback one. You would see a lot of people start to mirror that. And it's just, it's really interesting in this era of social media. And James, we had a conversation about this earlier in the week that just made me think of that. Like 2018 was a wild time. And I think we're in for another wild off season. Um, okay, so let's go right into round, round this, and this was, this was the round James was looking forward to all week. Right, because James has been dying to defend this point. Uh, given Joe Douglas's uh, philosophy, right, and and in terms of just him building this team out, right, and the fact that before we came on, we got this report that he sudden, you know, the Jets are leaning towards keeping Sam Darnold if they pick number if they pick second. Uh, Joe, I need you to sell me <laughs> the build around Sam argument. And James, you will sell me on the move on argument. Joe, I will start with you. Please sell me on building around Sam Darnold. I mean, I am ready to move on from Sam, which is tough for me, uh, considering I almost cried when he was drafted. But uh, let me make some uh, sense out of potentially keeping him. Okay. You know, we're all familiar with the players that have thrived away from Adam Gase. Look at what Ryan Tannehill has become in Tennessee. Now look at what McVay did for Jared Goff. Look at where Stefanski has the Browns and Baker Mayfield. Just like those guys, Sam just needs a coach and some pieces around him someone who can amplify his strengths. Look at Josh Allen and how much he's progressed working under the wings of an offensive coordinator who knows how to build around his quarterback strengths. Could you imagine where Josh Allen would be if the Jets had drafted him? 
he'd probably be out of the league right now and Sam's personal assistant, you know, maybe picking up his laundry, fetching him a cup of Java or putting together uh, his pregame mixtape. Do, do people still know what mixtapes are? I'm just kidding. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, really, I really actually do believe that if Sam was drafted by the Bills and mentored by Brian Dable, he'd be in the MVP discussion over Josh Allen right now. And Josh would be considered a bust, which is part of my next opinion, I guess. Even with all that's gone wrong with Sam, he's still expected to fetch a second round pick which speaks to the volume about how much people value him from a talent perspective. He still has the goods. He, he just needs the pieces. So we know Joe Douglas's affinity for building in the offensive trenches, and I'm confident he'll give Sam the protection he needs and the weapons he deserves. Remember, Joe Douglas won a Super Bowl, not with their young draft pick Carson Wentz, but with a castoff who found his groove playing behind one of the best offensive lines in the NFL and a good play caller, something Sam has never had. So if Joe Douglas can do it with Foles, he can certainly revive Sam's career. I mean, give this young bud the water he needs and watch him bloom. Sam Darnold, I believe in you. <laughs> Are you guys convinced? I like that. And, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm a sucker for, for flower analogies. So that was really, that was really good. James, uh, what are you, you know, you made, you know, you set Jets Twitter ablaze with your trade Sam Darnold for a seventh round pick uh, two episodes ago, uh, you know, but just, Sell me on moving on from Sam and, and you know, and, and cutting another young quarterback loose where a lot of Jet fans will tell you they will bet their 401ks that Sam Darnold will be a all-pro quarterback somewhere else. So, please, it's, it's sell me on the moving on from Sam. So, the, the question at hand is not whether Sam was dealt a bad hand. He unquestionably was. He was given worse players around him with a worse coaching staff um, he has regressed. The, the question is not whether, you know, we didn't do right by him. It's clearly we have not done right by him. But the question is, how do you build a Super Bowl caliber team in 2020? And I would argue that the way you do that is by drafting a quarterback on a rookie deal and spending the remaining money that you would otherwise be spending on a quarterback on a veteran deal to support that quarterback and to win football games. Uh, between the years of 2014 and 2019, there were 10 quarterbacks who had the highest cap hits in the NFL, and none of them won Super Bowls. And I would posit that Sam Darnold, even in the best possible, um, best possible trade destination, will not become one of the 10 best quarterbacks in the NFL, or even the 10 highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL. So, I, look, we did we didn't do right by Sam. But the question is, how are we going to make this team a winning team? And how are we going to take advantage of the draft assets that we have? And I would argue that the best way to do that is to build around a quarterback who is on a cheap deal so that we can spend money at positions of need. Um, and I believe that that is the approach that Joe Douglas will take, um, especially considering that we have the number two overall pick and it's every GM's dream to draft a quarterback. And every head coach, every new head coach, right? Because I think that's also the other thing. You don't want to force a head coach to take you know, to just be saddled with Sam. You don't want him to do that. Now, if a head coach believes he can fix him, then I'll, I'll be honest, it's probably not the head coach I want, but, <laughs> you know, they each their own. Um, all right, so let's, uh, let's the other part, and, and then we'll move to round four. The other part, you mentioned the money. The Jets have to decide on Sam Darnold's fifth-year option by March 3rd, the start of the league year. Do you want to agree to pay Sam Darnold $24.1 million the following year, even though you haven't seen him in your new head coach's system? 
Uh, and that's something that the Jets are going to have to answer. And I don't think that that's, I don't think that they know either way, one way or the other right now. Um, now, if they pick first, then I think they know. But if they're picking second, I don't think they know. Uh, let's jump right into uh, the fourth round. Uh, you know, we have about 10 minutes left, so we'll breeze right through the next the next four rounds. Uh, guys, taking one of the other quarterbacks, not Trevor Lawrence. So taking Zach Wilson, Trevor, uh, yeah, Trevor Fields, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, and Trey Lance. Uh how does that, how would that change what you do, you know, with Seattle's pick? We've talked about, you know, if you're going to build around Sam, you need to add a receiver or running back, something else around him at that, at that position. Uh, taking a quarterback at the, at the top, does that make you more likely for you to go edge or are you still thinking you should go offensively? Joe, we'll start with you. No, not at all. I'm, I'm attacking offense no matter what. As far as individual prospects, yes, my approach could potentially change. If I went with a Zach Wilson or a Trey Lance, who'd best fit in, say, like a Shanahan type of offense, I'd be looking for an offensive line with maybe with a little more athleticism to run those stretch plays. Samuel Cosme of uh, OT from Texas is a player who might rise up my board. As far as Wilson goes, I might be more concerned with finding another potential deep threat, you know, somebody who thrives in contested situations and tracking the ball. Terrace Marshall, wide receiver from LSU, is a guy who comes to mind. But in the end, no, my overall approach wouldn't change. For me, it's offense, offense, offense. Dalvin, James, this is the way. This is the way the child told us that the child has taught us that James, what do you think? Are you, are you, are you in agreements with Joe or are you thinking, you know, because you've now drafted your quarterback, is this where you go defense, maybe corner or edge at 25, 26? I agree with Joe wholeheartedly. Um, but I think it's worth parsing out what we would do versus what Joe Douglas has shown the inclination to do. And as I've said before, I think that the Seattle pick will be used um, for the best player available, for the player who slides past their projected draft slot, who, you know, maybe it's Jalen Waddell if he can't participate at the combine, um, or maybe it's somebody else who opted out or who had a rough year and who slides to this spot. Um, I think that the approach that Joe Douglas will take is the best player available approach. And I think, you know, while that's different from our approach, it seems like, I think that's one I can respect. And I think over time, um, the best player available approach will pan out well. Yeah, I agree. And best player available doesn't always mean that it doesn't fill a need. Sometimes it does line up very, very well. Um, and so I think, you know, and this will tie in right directly to round five. One of the picks, one of the positions that we've seen, uh, and again, and I've done, I do a mock draft every Monday, as you guys know, uh, and, you know, and I review a lot of mock drafts and Kyle Pitts is the one player who I've seen go as high as Carolina in, in the top 10. And I've seen go as low as at low, for lack of a better word, as low as that mid twenties, that Seattle pick. Right. So again, wide range of opinions, but everybody believes he's going to be a first rounder. I think we all agree that he is the best tight end in the class, right? He's a mismatch nightmare. It's, it's no, no contest who the number one tight end is. However, we also know that the Jets have Chris Herndon on the, on this team who hasn't really shown much. Right. But Mike Gusecki also didn't show much under Adam Gase. And now look at him. So, Looking at this tight end class, it's not a great class, right? It's not a great class at all. But are there some guys that you're looking for to give your young quarterback, should Joe Douglas opt to take a young quarterback at two or at one when it happens, uh, to help your young quarterback transition to the league if you don't feel like keeping Chris Herndon or if you feel like pairing him with Chris Herndon? Joe, I will start with you. What are your thoughts on the tight end class as a whole, both Pitts and post Pitts? Well, Pitts is great. I mean, I he's a beast. He is like – a potentially could be a better version of, say, a Darren Waller, which is a scary thought. 
you know, this, uh, the NFL is starved for tight ends. Um, there just aren't many good ones out there. I think it's partly because it's the hardest transition to make in the NFL after quarterback. You pretty much have to learn to be a wide receiver and an offensive lineman. Um, but you don't necessarily have to use a first-round pick to get a dominant tight end. In fact, most of the dominant tight ends in the league were drafted outside of round one. The Eagles found Zach Ertz in the second round. And in 2018, Douglas and Roseman selected Dallas Goddard in round two as well. So I wouldn't actually be surprised to see a tight end picked in that range, especially if they got an extra two for Sam. Pat Fryer moved from Penn State is a player I could see taken in that spot. He's not the downfield threat Pitts is, but he's a solid prospect. He runs good routes, has nice hands, and is, good, and is a good blocker. He actually also goes by the nickname Baby Gronk, so I think that's a, that's a plus. Uh, Brevin Jordan is another guy. Take a hard look at if he fell to the third or fourth round. Yeah. He comes from tight end, univers- tight end university. Uh, he's, a, again, a solid route runner, good hands. He could work on his blocking, but this guy's upside is big. Like I, I like him. I think he's solid. Um, a couple of guys I've been hearing some good things about. Uh, James Mitchell from Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech and Hunter Long from, uh, BC, uh, from BC is a guy I'm going to be doing a little bit of a deeper dive on soon. Just so you know, I attend Boston College, so uh, I have a soft spot for Boston College players. But the University of Miami has my heart. I've been a Hurricane fan all my life. Uh, and, you know, all you have to do is put on that teal and orange. And I automatically think you're Jeremy Shockey or Kellen Winslow. So it's, it's all good. Uh, James, uh, you, you probably penned one of the more notorious phrases in our conversation that you are tired of these white athletic tight ends being labeled baby grunk. So that aside, what are your thoughts on the tight end position? And should the Jets try to add somebody to either pair with Herndon? And also keep in mind, this is a very good free agency tight end class too. Hunter Henry might hit free agency. John Smith might hit free agency. So maybe the Jets go that route with all the cap space. But uh, if they opt to add one in the draft, just what are your thoughts on the tight end class as a whole? And do you agree with Joe that the NFL is starved for good tight ends? Because that's actually a really good point. And it ties into one of our mailback questions for round seven. Yeah, I think Joe was spot on in his analysis. Um, I think tight end is a position that the Jets would pick in the draft if somebody fell to them, but they wouldn't go out of their way to take a tight end. Um, it, it's pretty top heavy. The tight end class is very top heavy. I don't think that the um, kind of middle class of that tight end class is particularly strong, um, to be honest. And I think, honestly, the most likely outcome is either Griffin stays or Griffin is cut and they have Griffin compete with Herndon and pick somebody in day late day two or day three in the draft. And they just do tight end by committee. Whoever has the hot hand plays. Um, I don't think it's particularly likely that they sign somebody who's expensive in free agency. Um, I mean, honestly, I, I don't really believe Herndon will have a bounce back season. Um, I, I don't think it's there is much evidence to suggest that he will. I think it's more of a, a faith-based assumption. Um, but overall, I would say the tight end class is very top heavy. And if one of the top three guys falls, I would be down to pick them. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And what I'm going to do now is I'm going to merge round six and round seven, because one of the mailback questions that we got actually ties into really well to our segment for round six. Um, so round six is typically where we do our get familiar segment. Where we give you prospects that we think you should pay attention to. Somebody sent in this question, which I thought was actually a really good one. And it ties into that. Uh, guys, this is for both of you. Who is a prospect that, that, not enough people have talked about that the Jets should be or could be in on. So I'll give you an example. The person in the email cited Tylen Wallace, right? They cited Wallace because they feel that he's a perfect fit 
for whatever young quarterback you get, right? Um, another person that was mentioned, Joe, this is one of your guys, Christian Darasaw, who, again, would be a perfect fit opposite Becton, right? But not a lot of people are talking about it. You usually see the same the same uh, names at, at 25, 26. So just who is one or two prospects very quickly as we round out, you know, this episode of draft season that Jet fans should get familiar as we head to the national, as we head to the semifinal. Joe, I'll start with you. You know, um, I feel like this guy is just not being talked about enough. Um, if Russell Wilson and Josh Allen had a baby, it would be Trey Lance. And I think it's time I mentioned the forgotten man in the quarterback room. You know, and I want to talk more about this in future episodes, but he's actually quarterback three for me in this draft. Yes, over Wilson, listeners, you know, hear me out. I know it might sound crazy to people, but what he brings to the table is really just an unbelievable skill set. You know, Zach Wilson might be slightly more pro ready, but it's taken Wilson three years to get where Lance pretty much is right now after one. And I think he's a victim of recency bias, not to mention, I think Lance is, is a superior, is a superior athlete to Wilson has more consistent footwork, anticipates throws at a higher level and has a better understanding of where should a ball should be placed. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And now for the, la- for the last two, three minutes, we're going to mesh together our round six and round seven. Round six is, our, is usually our get familiar segment where we give you prospects that you guys should be paying attention to that you typically aren't, right? And then you'll come to us, you know, when the draft kicks off, like, oh my God, I had no idea that this person was a good prospect, even though we told you for months that they were. Uh, so, and it ties in really well with the mailbag question that we received. So this person sent in a question and said that who are some prospects that Jet fans are not really talking about? So, for example, one of, in the email they highlighted, Tylen Wallace is a receiver that could fit no matter who your young quarterback is. They also highlighted, and Joe, this is one of your favorites, Christian Darasaw at, off- at offensive tackle, as somebody who could play right tackle. You don't have to move Beckton over or anything, anything like that, and that could be an option with the Seattle pick. So, Joe, I'll start with you. Who is a prospect that Jet fans are not talking about that they really should be? Yeah, if, uh, if Russell Wilson and Josh Allen had a baby, it would be Trey Lance. And I think it's time I mentioned the forgotten man in the quarterback room. Um, he's my quarterback three in this draft. Yes, over Wilson. Uh, he'll hear me out, listeners. Um, if he played this year, I have no doubt he'd be in the QB2 discussion with Wilson and Fields. And this might sound crazy to people, but if the Jets didn't go Fields at two, I'd have no issue with them selecting Lance in that spot, even over Wilson. Now, I think he could be having a trade back, but again, he's a worthy selection at two, in my opinion. For the people listening, I didn't come to this decision lightly. In fact, I didn't even want to like him. And I went into the film not expecting to like him at all. I couldn't fathom being interested in an FCS quarterback with only one season under his belt. But he changed my opinion quickly. Where, where he's at from a developmental perspective is pretty advanced. And I witnessed a player, a refined player from a technical standpoint that was well beyond his years. You know, Zach Wilson might be slightly more pro-ready, but it's taken Wilson three years to get where Lance pretty much is right now after one. I think Lance is a superior athlete to Wilson. He has more consistent footwork. He anticipates throws at a higher level and has a better understanding of where a ball should be placed. Um, As an evaluator, it's your job to make projections. And from my standpoint, outside of Lawrence, Trey has the highest ceiling in the draft. 
And some might think he has the high, lowest floor, but I honestly don't see it that way. I think his floor is high too. I think he actually might have a higher floor than Wilson. And I'm more concerned about Wilson's development than I am about Lance. I know I'm in the minority here, but Trey Lance is, is QB3 for me. Yes, Jets Twitter. I have him ahead of the Mormon Marauder after Fields. He's my guy. Yeah, and I will say I like Trey Lance a lot. And uh, I will say also that I do not like the Lamar Jackson comparison because I think he's a very different kind of quarterback than Lamar Jackson. And I saw Bleacher Report kind of use that. And I was like, that every black quarterback has to be Lamar Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a that's not a thing. That's not a thing. Uh James, let's go right to you. Uh, you know, who you know, you were in on Tyler Wallace. Uh, so I'm gonna give you all the points when he, you know, ostensibly blows up the next level. Uh, just like I'm gonna give Joe all the points when Christian Darrisa blows up at the next level. Because there's just some things that are certain things, you know, at the draft. And I think receivers like Wallace always find a way to produce at the next level. And I think offensive linemen like Darrisaw, who can have that positional flexibility, tend to produce at the next level. You kind of see that those are safe bets. James, who are you? Th- who are you thinking in terms of just a prospect that Jets Twitter should really be paying attention to, so that way they're not surprised when the Jets take them at two or at twenty six. <laughs> Yeah, I think Joe's analysis was really good. I also like uh, Lance a lot. I have him as QB4, but it was a very small gap between Lance and Wilson for me. And I really um, appreciate Lance's athletic gifts. And I think too often we associate athleticism with high ceiling and a low floor, when in reality, athleticism provides something for players to fall back on uh, when things kind of hit the fan. Um, But in terms of a player, um, I mentioned Tylen Wallace. And he's a player I really like. But another player that I really like is Michael Carter, the running back from UNC. And he's definitely not in consideration for our top three picks in the draft. And he's become an afterthought since Javante Williams has blown up and has been uh, has been considered the top three running back in this class. But um, I haven't watched the rest of the running back class, but it would not surprise me if by the end of this evaluation, I have him as a top five running back. Um he really showcases a lot of skills that are valuable in today's NFL. He is in a pretty, uh, I think, like diverse scheme. He has a lot of pass catching experience. Um, he's smaller than Javante Williams. Javante's 5'10, 225. Carter is 5'8, I think 200. And there is a difference when you watch them. But that's also the reason why Javante is probably going to go a round and a half to two rounds higher than Michael Carter. But I see Carter as a player who's in the mold of a more high-end little Michael Piran. And while that may not get Jets fans super excited, um, you know, those are the types of role players that make a team successful. So it would not surprise me if they, if they were looking for that mold of running back, somebody who can do it all, um, who, who wouldn't give away, um, you know, pass or run based on whether he's in the game or not. Um, I think Michael Carter is the guy. Yeah. And I will say to that point, you know, as we wrap up, we talked about Joe Douglas's philosophy a lot the last two episodes, but you know, Joe, you mentioned this in terms of in terms of his work in Philly. They they had a running back by committee, you know, kind of approach also, right? You know, like they had Garrett Blunt. Uh, you know, they 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 they've added different. They very rarely do they have a feature back. It's usually a rotation of running backs, you know. And so it's gonna be interesting to see how Joe Douglas attacks this offseason because for because of the misses of Mike McCagna and the and the misses of John Idzik, the middle class of this roster is absolutely barren. There is nothing there. And so I wonder, you know, and again, trading Sam gets you a couple picks, right? If you trade back, that gets you a couple more. Joe Douglas very much understands that this is not a one-year fix, but there is absolutely zero reason why the Jets should not be, you know, again, given the extra, the extra playoff spot, right? And the questions that New England has at quarterback, 
and the questions that other teams have at quarterback. Cincinnati will be having a recovering Joe Burrow. Uh, Denver doesn't seemingly have a quarterback, right? Like, so all these things. Indianapolis doesn't have a quarterback because Philip Rivers is not good anymore, right? The Jets should be, the Jets at this point next year should be playing for something. I'm not saying that they should be in contention for a division title, but these games shouldn't, they should not be mathematically eliminated from the playoffs by Halloween. That should not be a thing. And Joe Douglas has his work ahead ahead of him, uh, cut out for him, because I think when you look at that, you think, okay, where can we find players that contribute, like you mentioned, James, right? Like a running back that can supplant P. Ryan as that, you know, young back that, you know, use in rotation. But also you got to nail the quarterback position. It's not going to matter much if you don't have the quarterback. Guys, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Draft Season. By the time you hear this, I don't know where the Jets will be picking, but I think they'll be back in the driver's seat for the number one pick. And Trevor Lawrence, not Trevor Fields. Okay. I I I you know, if they had a baby, you know, Trevor Fields would be would be would be the, the special quarterback that came out of it. But guys, thank you as always for joining us, and we will be back next week.